Hello, the internet, and welcome to this episode of the Weekly Zeitgeist. Uh, these are some of our favorite segments from this week, all edited together into one uh, nonstop infotainment laugh extravaganza. Uh, yeah. So, without further ado, here is the Weekly Zeitgeist. He was named 2015's number one comedian <laughs> yeah, on the true. top 1,000 comedians list. Please true. welcome the hilarious and talented Andrew Michon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, my song about here. me is Happy for No, I don't. <laughs> I did not know it was a musical uh, podcast, um, so I don't have a song prepared. But just know that um, if I had one prepared, it would have been awesome. It's very clear to everyone listening that you have a song in your heart. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Last time you were on, you were like, you said the same thing. Like, I didn't know it was a song. I would have came with one. And, wow. You know, so Andrew I, really let that... down. Let us down the second go around. <laughs> wow. I should have known, you know. Well, it's been a normal couple of years. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. We're What's last problem, this, man? November 2019. <laughs> What's going on, dude? Just pick yeah. up where you left off. I Well, I haven't really been paying attention. Um, so I don't know. Everything's been good for me. Cool. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's good to be back. Thank you for having me. I'm gonna I'm gonna come clean here and let you know that I have forgotten that we met, forgot that you were on the show, and then become a fan of yours through podcasts, but outside uh, oh, since thank then, you. and oh. uh, without realizing that you had been on this show. So that's uh, perfect. But podcast but outside is very very funny. Yeah, Thank before you, you came on, he's like, you know, Andrew. I'm like, well, yeah. He's, he's been on. <laughs> oh shit, man! <laughs> that is very funny. I was like, yeah. Father, you need your medicine. <laughs> oh boy. Awesome. Hey, I honestly, actually, that makes your fan of my show like that makes it more pure. You know? Yeah, of course. That was just a pure enjoyment outside of the fact that you and I are close friends. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> there it is. Great. What's good with you, man? Other than you, you're I'm, back from Costa Rica. <laughs> I'm doing well. Yeah, I went to Costa Rica. Last time years. you're on. <laughs> How was that trip, man? Good. It was great. You know, no, it was really nice. It, and uh, honestly, like looking back, I'm very glad that I did go in November of 2019 because I try to go out of the country once a year, and it was a really great trip. And then, you know, if I had known that I wouldn't be able to leave the country for a long time after that, like it, it was, yeah, it was perfect time. timing to be able to go. Great country. Highly recommend it. Easy place to travel, and everyone's very nice, very beautiful. Love to see it. And I'm actually going to leave the country again for the first time since then in November. So, hey, hey, timing hey. there. Where are you going? Uh, I'm going to Costa. No, I'm just going. I'm going <laughs> to uh, I'm going to Iceland, actually, which I've never been to. Nice. Whoa. Yeah. Dope. What's yeah. the weather like at that time of year? Super I think cold? It's a huh? little, I think it's kind of cold year round. The vibe oh, is apparently okay. it's just always cold. But that is definitely when winter is in the swing of it's like in the full swing of winter. So there might be a little more snow. But I think it's just universally cold and frigid there. Yeah. But it, it is like, you know, it'll get dark like at like 4 or 5 p.m. when we first get there. And then by the time we leave, it'll get dark at like 3 p.m. Like it really drastically oh, changes shit. over the course of November. Yeah. Yeah. But there's like yeah. boiling hot water just like shooting up out of the earth there all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So right? you can yeah. just yeah. fight it off. Yeah. 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 Man, I want to go there so bad. I, I, I studied a lot of Viking history in college. Oh. And like Iceland's always been this. I'm like, I got it. I need to see it. Because a lot of the people that like ended up habitating that place were like fleeing the vikings they were like yo oh, these norwegians are wildin'. like let's get over here <laughs> did the vikings ever go there and like mess them up yeah i'm what? sure they did i mean i as far as i can remember what was that 14 years ago <laughs> college. uh yeah i mean that's like those are the remnants that you hold on you're like 
I know they were fleeing the other Vikings, and yeah, 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 then yeah. they have a great soccer team that overperforms. <laughs> well, I'll let you know how it is. Um, yeah. I'm, I, it seems like a nice, easy place to travel. And also, it's like 96% vaccinated kind of thing, and you have to be vaccinated to get, go in. So I, as far as like, feels like a safe first uh, trip after this whole thing. Sure. Marcella, we do like to ask our guest, what is something from your search history? I had to Google San Francisco Fleet Week because I didn't know what the fuck that was. Mm. And um, I'm in Modesto, California right now. And we've been having uh, these. I've just been me and my brother have been noticing these little like cute little planes and like multiple planes at once for just crisscrossing. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And then my friend in, who lives in San Francisco was like, it's Fleet Week. And I was like, what the fuck is Fleet Week? And then I fucking put the thoughts together once I hit the Google. I didn't read about it because I don't give a shit. It just feels like a waste of money. Oh, yeah. Mm. But yeah, I guess that's happening this week. And uh, they are practicing in Modesto, California. Right. So what? what is it? It's when all the... They do fucking air shows or some stupid yeah, shit. Yeah, but it's like a thing where like a lot of the like Navy people, Coast Guard, like ship-based military, like come to town. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been a thing for like a minute, but for I know. a long right. time, and then they they'll just, have air shows and shit. It's just kind of yeah. like, yo, we're here, we're we're in the yeah. city. They have potholes all over the city, but they're using the money for fucking Fleet Week, right? Hey. I, so, I associate it with like old timey, like a bunch of sailors mm-hmm. in their in their uh, whites, just like walking around and uh, yeah, exactly causing and trouble, like, getting into fights and bars on the Lower East Side or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. happens. And then yeah. you get a little Blue Angels, you know, mm-hmm. a party going on there, too. It's one wow. of those traditions that feels really childish. Yeah. Yeah. I think they need to pick one. Why Why? why the planes? Isn't that, aren't they supposed to be on the water? What's happening? Because well, they're, they're launched from the aircraft carrier. I don't get them. Yeah. <laughs> well, fuck it. Whatever. I'm no military expert, but I, I say I mean, that's one. a good thing, right? The Navy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sure gonna I'm gonna get hate mail for mentioning that, right? So I'm gonna be like, I served, and it's a very important tradition. Nah, I feel like a lot of the people that served and listened to the show, like they come through with in very enlightening opinions on. They're like, yeah, I this is what's so. fucked up about the military. I'm like, thank you for that. And so, they're gonna be like, it adds millions of dollars to the local economy. <laughs> I feel like that's the. What are you like? Yeah. Was Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> Ted Cruz is a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does like the Daily Zeitgeist. Weird. Uh, what is something you think is overrated? I'm a really big professional wrestling fan. It's something I've been a fan of my entire life, pretty much. And um, there are a series of matches that happened in the 2010s in New Japan Pro Wrestling. A wrestler named Kenny Omega versus a wrestler named Okada, which are considered to be the greatest professional wrestling matches in the history of professional wrestling. Dave Meltzer is a pro wrestling journalist of note who has a five-star scale of how he rates matches in terms of quality and one of the okada omega matches he rated seven stars which like broke his scale it was so good and i gotta say i just don't see it i'm a big pro wrestling fan the matches are like they're the the problem with them is that they're all like 40 minute long epics so it's Mm. sort of like sitting down to you know like a three-hour movie or something like that in pro wrestling match terms and I don't know. I just kind of want to watch people do flips and kick each other in the face. I'm not sure if I want 20 minutes of like slow mat wrestling action to get to the cool <laughs> stuff, you know? <laughs> That's funny. There is a bias, uh, like in certain, you know, fan bases where I, I feel like the longer the movie for a while was, it was considered like, well, that's a, that's a classy movie. Even though I think a lot of times, like, 
you should at least have a couple 90 minute movies on your like top five list. It shouldn't just all be like three hour long epics. Yeah. Like sometimes you're in the mood for like a four hour long, you know, like sometimes you're in the mood for Citizen Kane or whatever, or sometimes you're in the mood for like, yeah, like a 90 minute like Die Hard or something like that, where it's just like, oh, it's like a TikTok video of someone getting hit by a train. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. And it's, I think it's, you know, like the, both of those wrestlers are so good. And like, I'm a fan of Okada and Omega separately. It's just like this thing that the fandom has called the best series of matches of all time. And I'm like, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's like, sometimes you want, you know, a seven minute long, like rush song or something like that. Or sometimes yeah. you want like a minute 30 punk song. And like, yeah. I feel like I'm more on the minute 30 punk song side of things. Yeah. One of my, like my mom's really good close friends is uh used to be married to that wrestler masa saito who's mr saito like, oh in the shit wf like back in the day and i remember around the time i was so into wrestling that i went when we were in japan she's like oh come out we're having like the i forget whatever like with all, all those tournaments like the g1 climax oh, yeah. oh hell yeah the g1 fucking yeah. rules <laughs> yeah so i went to one of those and i was like I was like, I'm ready because I had already been to a couple, you know, WWF house shows and a WrestleMania. And I was like, okay, this is it. And the culture around the shows were so different. I was like having this like sort of bit (laughs) of wrestling culture clash happening. Right. Uh, But it's true. Like it is it it offers like a completely different version. Whereas to me, a 14 year old who's just been mainlining Dwayne The Rock Johnson like clips I was just a little bit like, okay, yeah, that was cool. That was there was some cool stuff in there. There's some yeah. good technical stuff in there. Yeah, and like NJPW, it's it's really good. It's like I would say that if WWE is like the action movie form of wrestling, where it's just like, yeah, the Undertaker's shooting out fireballs, like Kane's his long lost brother, blah 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 blah. Like NJPW is like, oh, this is like a, the sport version of this. Right. Like you know, there's not as there's not like magic stuff. Nobody is like secretly a demon or whatever. Right. It's very much just like oh these are two like top of their form athletes who like understand the sport of professional wrestling to a t and like are so good at like the performative aspects of it so it's like it's a little bit more real in how they perform their moves like uh they hit like there's this thing called strong style where wrestlers will hit each other for real as hard as humanly possible but in safe spaces so it's like a forearm as hard as you can to like the shoulder where it might hurt but it's not gonna like Right. You knock you out like that right. right it's like punching on the shoulder like sort of when you're a kid like what a thing that i feel like young oh, boys like getting do. someone a dead but arm yeah. like yeah, yeah. Arm. okay you get one you get Where one like, yeah, you get one i'll take it i can take it right there go yeah <laughs> when the, and their wrestlers are really good at like uh, there's a wrestler named uh, kota bushi who's like one of the best wrestlers in the world who famously does a lot of like just insane drops on his neck like he gets pile driven straight on his neck all the time <laughs> And it like looks insane. And the way that he can do that is he just does a lot of neck exercises. Wow. So it's sort of that thing of like, oh, right. they like do the moves for real to each other, but they are trained in such a way that they're like not going to get injured doing it. Whereas WWE is more the showmanship side of it of like, it's right, like WWE right. is a little bit, you know, faker for lack of a better term in that like things are a little bit more sleight of handed away as to how things are done whereas njpw it's just like oh dudes are just dropping each other on their necks for real (laughs) right 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 and then people like in like a backyard match in like tampa are like did you see that clip yeah we should try that on a a regular folding table and then be surprised when someone has a tbi 
Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> of all the places to, you know, do the do the sleight of hand that convinces people to do really dangerous things. I feel like America not the best choice for that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Right, right, right. What uh what's something you think is underrated? Underrated is buying a used car or you know, a SEP or a simple or a bunch of retirement accounts that aren't super sexy. I love the people who did the marketing for a 401k. 401k is like the darling, but I think that's overrated. There are a ton of other retirement accounts that I think are underrated. And the more the merrier when it comes to retirement accounts. I think a lot of folks think the 401k is like the only girl at the dance. She's not. There are others. Mm. Mm. And does your company need to like participate in the other like retirement accounts or you can just kind of pick and choose if you have a 401k? Well, so you can have a 401k and an IRA. I know you guys are stoked. An IRA. IRA, Love that Roth IRA life. You just go to the bank and you can open up an IRA, a traditional or a Roth. And the only difference is taxes with a Roth. You pay taxes now. With a traditional, you pay taxes when you take it out. And so that's like a whole other category of retirement accounts than the 401k. So you can have a 401k and you can have a Roth IRA and a traditional if you want. And then SEPs and SIMPLES are like other variations of IRAs in that family if you own your own business. Wow. I'm so it's uh, how did you become so financially literate? Because I grew up in the most pretty financially illiterate home or like one where a lot of those things were not communicated to me. So it was a lot of trial and error once I got out of college. So I I would always meet people with their financial shit together. I'm like, how did you get there? What is your story? How do you know? I lied. True story. I grew up in an immigrant family. So I'm first generation American, uh, super broken home. My father died of an overdose when I was young. My mother sort of pieced out and I just needed to work. So I needed to get a job. We talked about this before we went on the air. We're all in L.A. Mm -hmm. I went to an arts high school. I wanted to be a dancer. And then I went to college to be a poetry major. So, like, I'm the least likely person to be a finance expert or whatever. I never thought I'd even be in business or talking about business. But then I started in journalism and I auditioned for this small station group in Chicago. I went to Northwestern and I wanted to get like a local news job. And they said, well, you don't get this job, but do you know anything about business? And I was 18 at the time. And mm-hmm. I just said, yes. I just lied. Business? I was oh, like, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Love Wait, business all day, Did every day. Did you not read my resume? Come right? on. Right? Twice on Sunday. Yeah. Like, I had a boyfriend in high school who said he wanted to be a hedge fund manager. And I thought the dude wanted to be in gardening. Yeah. <laughs> So if I could do this, right. anyone could do this. Sure, sure, sure. For real. No, and it, yeah. And I mean, I've, I've. It's I've gathered that over the years when people are like, try this, read up about that. I'm like, oh, right. Okay. I think it's just uh, at a certain point, there was just, I think I my priorities are just completely off. So uh, it took like moments like that to realize like, yeah, that's right. We live in a very complex financial system here as well, especially as it relates to like taxes and things like that. So at, at a certain point, I think I just became very apathetic because it just felt like, well, this is... I get it. I would have been gonna... apathetic if I didn't yeah. need it to pay the bills. I wouldn't have done it otherwise, for sure. And what I realized 
is that money is a language like anything else. We just didn't have a Rosetta Stone for this language, no matter what high school you went to or growing up, no matter what kind of household you grew up in. We don't learn this stuff in school. We learn a bunch of BS, like how to dissect a frog or the Pythagorean theorem. Yeah, that BS. Why? Why do we need to, like, if we want to know when... Right? Like yeah. when a train Fucking gets to a station. Right triangle. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you I know mean, what the Pythagorean theorem is, don't you? Yeah. I, I, what I is it? I'm sure A squared plus B oh, squared equals C squared. That's but, right. Or the, but, you, but then you start asking me about retirement. I'm like, uh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> right? If I were in charge of the world, we would learn about steps and simples instead of isosceles triangles. But... I'm not yet. And, right. <laughs> you know, I think that for me, out of necessity, I just went to the school of hard knocks. And, right. you know, if you go to China or you don't speak Chinese, you'd be confused. If you go to Wall Street, you don't speak the language of money, you'd be confused. But then, hello, Captain Obvious, once you speak it, you understand it. But sure, right. first, you have to just learn this silly little language. But it's, like, not complicated. And so. And I think that's probably intentional, too, because I think most people, if you're not making globs of money, you don't learn a lot of the other tricks of the trade or like wealth accumulation tactics that people have and it seems like yeah you just be like nah, well then that's for someone else but then you realize no it's just we can educate ourselves or maybe give ourselves a different outcome yeah and then a lot of women in particular you know i wrote rich bitch and either thought it was gonna fail or crush it there was no gray area people were gonna have feelings about the book but because I think women in particular don't get their financial lives together because they think a guy's going to take care of it. And listening to you guys, case in point, guys yeah, are not going to take care of it. Yeah, <laughs> guys don't know not. more. Nobody I will kill knows the anything. Shit out of a spider, though. Yeah, Thank you. you know. <laughs> or I will escort it outside because yeah, I like right. spiders. But I'm there. But yeah, you start talking about college funds and stuff like that. Like my partner and I were like, well, dude, should we should be in a college fund? I'm like, man, I'm going to sell an NFT. And then like, good. <laughs> you know, like there's like that's not a strategy. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> Do you have a like a crash course that you recommend for people just to like kind of like what what did you read to first sort of learn the language? I was just on the floor of the Chicago Merc, which is like Wolf of Wall Street style. And so I learned it there. And I realized like when I heard people say short. I thought it was the opposite of tall, but it's not. It's just right. the opposite of long in the Wall Street world. And it's not complicated. It's like, it just means something's going in the pooper. Like, right. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's yeah. going to fail. And that's all. But nobody says it like that. They say, right. you know, most folks who explain it don't even understand what the heck they're saying. Right. And so I thought that there was an opportunity to be like, hello, everybody is just like smoking something here. Can, can somebody just explain this? Like, say it plain how it is. Right. And so that's what I tried to do. And so nice. folks wanted that. Yeah. So Rich Bitch would be the crash course that people <laughs> need to Rich understand. Bitch would be a good place to start. Uh, yeah. Boss Bitch would be another good place to start. Miss Independent is the book I have coming out in uh, January. And not to sort of like sell my own books, but I came up with the money school because I kept saying the same type of spiel. Like, why isn't there a class? And so I kept saying it so much. I was like, I might as well do one because... And right. it doesn't include the Pythagorean theorem. Yeah. You're, You're really hard on the Pythagorean theorem, by the way. I, I, I do have to stand up for the Pythagorean theorem. It's never steered me wrong, as far as I know, in the zero times that I've had to use it in my everyday life. You're right. <laughs> it is, You're right. It, it's well, always we there for Let's me. be fair, Miles, you know. 
We've been really hard on her. Uh, All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back. And Christy Nome is defending herself from nepotism accusations by just like admitting she did nepotism kind of like, yeah, okay, maybe I did that shit, but not the way you think. (laughs) Right. So, you know, she's been in the news for last week. That story came out, the rumor that she was sleeping with Corey Lewandowski from Mm. Trump world. Like they were having an affair. And then she's like, I love my husband, whatever. She's like, we raised God fearing children together. I'm off this. Like, this is a bad rumor. And people were like, wow. Okay. That, by addressing it, it seems a little bit more guilty, but hey, do right. you, Christy, you got to do you. And now she's like over the last, you know, two weeks or so, this nepotism thing has been getting louder and louder and louder. And because here's the deal, uh, you know, her daughter just if, like about two years ago, she wanted to be a real estate appraiser. But, you know, like the tests and certifications were just like so unfair that the board denied her application and certification. Mm-hmm. And the state says that. They will like in order to have your certification denied, it's denied when, quote, an applicant's work samples don't meet minimum compliance with national standards. Mm. Hmm. I mean, try to imagine how bad her application must have been (laughs) for her to not get the approval in the first place when her mom is Christy No. Like, First of all, yeah. the application was in crayon. I don't know if you guys right. know. It um, must have been. It must have literally been in crayon. Like, she's like, you three words someone else's application on <laughs> yeah. top of this with crayon. <laughs> like, it's not even your name, miss. <laughs> oh, okay. So there's all these biases and things I got to overcome now. Uh, and I mean, look, no shade to, you know, real estate applications. It seems fairly straightforward to get licensed i know an appraiser like this specific certification might be a little more specific i'm sure but however it I'm just sure seems it's like hard anything... for a lot of people but not the not her you wouldn't well, like yeah. this because the the moment that they denied this the meeting that you're about to describe was like set in motion and they yeah. had to have known that like there, they had yeah, there to was have no known, oh, one, only one option so the uh <laughs> certification denied Governor Mommy coming through and demand demanded a fucking Soprano style sit down with Sherry Bren, who is the manager of the appraiser certification program, her direct supervisor and the state Ooh. secretary of labor Let and talk to her daughter and wow, her daughter, her daughter the was room. there. Okay. I do like that she did a let me talk to your uh, manager with the uh, and your manager you well. and your direct supervisor. <laughs> I need to speak to everyone's manager. So who's your manager? OK, <laughs> their manager as well. And who's yours? Them too. I yeah. just love that she she did all that when she could have just hired somebody to fill out the application. And, you know, like, you <laughs> right. know what I mean? Like, there's so many ways you could have really played the system if you wanted oh to. You well, know? her daughter's yeah. trying to do it the right way, Marcel. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Failing spectacularly and then having her mother abuse the office, the power of her office to, to get this done. So oddly enough, a couple months after that meeting, boom, she's certified. Baby's certified and is ready to start appraising. Uh, appraise the Lord. But it is not nepotism. And Christy Nome did a vertical video apology. So you know she's fucking serious about this. So this is Governor Nome's self-taped it wasn't nepotism but very listen very closely to how she just even lets this unfold and i wanted to take a second to set the record straight i never once asked for special treatment for cassidy 
She is my daughter and I'm proud of her. I raised her to accomplish things on her own, just like my parents raised me. Other appraisers went through the exact same process that Cassidy did. Right here. And I'll be honest, my administration started fixing that process and it was way too difficult. Appraisers weren't getting certified and South Dakota were having to wait much longer to buy a home than in other states. Okay, that's it. I don't even care about the rest that's of it. Funny. She straight up goes, yo, I didn't do nothing. However, we have the process was fixing unfair. the problem. Yeah, which is it. It was way too hard. Way too difficult. I'm sorry. Did you? Is that a direct quote from your daughter? Mm -hmm. Mom, it's way too difficult. I don't fucking. It's too difficult. I cut this application process and I had to fill it out all by myself and there was nothing on it. Okay, okay, honey. Okay, figure it out. Sherry, I need to see you tomorrow and bring your manager and her manager too. This is the government. Bye. Thank you, mommy. Thank you. Yeah, no, I got it, baby. I know, honey. It's so unfair. I can't believe they made you read. I wonder if <laughs> I wonder if they don't know the difference between nepotism and incest. That's why she's like, it's not nepotism. <laughs> it's like, lady, do you even know what nepotism? Because you know, it sounds like she doesn't know what nepotism is. No, yeah, it's really what it not sounds at all. like. I mean, especially when you then go on to say, however, yeah, we did have to fix some problems over in that place that made my daughter upset. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, okay. She's like, y'all, nepotism is disgusting. And that's why, obviously, I support abortions in the case of rape and nepotism. Right. And they're like, what the fuck? I also love that you can see the ring light in her eyes in that video. Yeah. That's yeah. my favorite when you're just like. And the you, glasses. Did you oh, keep her apology oh glasses? That's what I call them. You know it's an apology when someone who's not normally wearing glasses puts the glasses on or around their head to kind of, right. I think it evokes that old thing for like Batman when the Joker's like, you wouldn't punch a guy with glasses. Which oh my God, that's so funny. Oh, what a mess. Let me just take a break from all this uh, work I'm doing with my glasses to put them up on the top of my, <laughs> head, my head and apologize. You guys are a distraction from the yeah, real she, job. With she you. definitely took more time on hair and makeup than she did on the apology. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Because then yeah, the, the content whole, the, isn't there, but mm -hmm. the next two minutes, it. it's just, this is why it's so bad. You won't believe how long it takes to buy somebody a, the, to buy a house in, in, in South Dakota because there's no appraisers. I mean, really what I'm trying to do, she goes on to be like, I need to get more young people involved in this to give them opportunities because there shouldn't be so many obstacles to opportunity. Please don't look at my policies on education funding or uh, things as it relates to reservations. But uh, anyway... That's what I believe as the It's government. like the classic white feminism story, right? Mm. Like, they fucking want to adjust it for them, and they think that that's helping everybody. Well, yeah, or use that very narrow, like, lens to say, like, the version of what is being experienced now is actually a an oppressive force that right. we're trying to counteract versus... Yeah. My daughter is ill-prepared. I probably raised her as such, where whenever <laughs> she had a problem, mom would solve it without her having to learn a lesson, which has created runaway momentum for this baby adult who I've raised now who now screams when they don't get their appraisers. Oh raised. my god, I just thought of, I've had my mom help me on one thing once. When I was in high school I think, we had to, we had to carve out the fucking, what is that shit, shit the sphinx? Oh, uh -huh. like one of oh, those. styrofoam and shit? No, from soap. And uh, I, yeah, so I, I was trying to do it, right? And I was like, mom, can you help me? And she was like, yeah. And then she started doing it and I was like, okay, let me. And she was like, no, let me. And she finished it. <laughs> 
I didn't want her to. She just was yeah, like, yeah. you know what? You're going to mess this up. And I worked really hard on the back. So now I'm just going to do the whole face. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I, the and then the she, hard part. yeah, and then we saved it. And to this day, when I look at it, I'm just like, Mm-mm, I will never ask me. that woman for help again. She right. just fucking snatched it out of my hands. I mean, that's so it, it's so weird when your parents are just like, let me do this thing for you. And you're like, but this just has to that, do with my school. And yeah, like, this, right, if you're I fail, like, the I'm, opportunity. yeah, let me She's fail like, on my own. No, because I got to show you mom still got it with an exacto <laughs> knife in a bar of dial. Here we it go. It was so funny. But I, we still have it. And sometimes I'll see it and I'm just like. This wasn't even mine, but she's like, right. "Oh yeah, remember that when you made that?" And I was like, "I didn't make that. You made that." Like, stop yeah. telling the lie, mom. Yeah, that's funny. How, like... It's funny. The same. The one. It's so funny you say that. The one time my mom ever helped me with a school project was with a like an ancient Egypt diorama I had to build. Wow. And I was trying to make my own pyramids out of paper, and I, my dumbass just didn't know how to fuck with geometry properly right. to get it. And my mom watched me struggle. Like Ooh, for hours. Good. Mm. And then until she was just like, yo, like you can't embarrass me like this when you bring this <laughs> shit in here. Like here, like just cut this paper like this and then just fold it and then it'll be, it'll look like a little pyramid. And I'm like, fuck. And that's, I remember like being dope. so self-conscious when I brought it. Like I was like, the teacher's going to know my mom did this. She's going to know <laughs> that my mom did the fucking paper pyramid. And no, it wasn't like no. that, but I'll never shake that feeling either. Yeah. It's so funny, right? Because I got an A on it and I was like so upset that I got right, an A yeah. on it. Like, well, also, for me too like with you know uh, asian household it's very much like sink or swim motherfucker like right. and if you fail <laughs> i hope you're ready for the shame train because it's about to make a stop at this house you better wow. hop on uh but like at the same time also became very much like able to rely on myself because i was like you know what because i feel like every kid like when book report time would come around, there was always that one kid, you know, like your mom fucking made that shit. Like, you didn't make this shit. I've seen you. You can't even color in the fucking lines. That's funny. And now you did a whole ass diorama out of a moving box. That's like to scale. No, no, I'm not doing that. My dad uh, helped me with math homework in sixth grade once. And I still remember it because it ultimately ended with him being like, your teacher's wrong about this. Wow. That classic move. This doesn't make sense to me. And my poor teacher, who was like such a hard ass, she didn't give a fuck. But she was just like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. You're, great. Yeah. So, and you're yeah. a basketball coach, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So, why don't you uh, just add up the score? Because well, you uh, can only count to five, right? And do it in <laughs> ones, twos, and threes. Okay. But see, isn't that funny that we all have a story, and then we all are like, we very vividly remember it and how it made us yeah. feel, and how we still yeah. feel about it. And like Chrissy Noem's daughter is probably like, well, this is how it is sometimes for some people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like because you know I grew up around a lot of kids who were the children of celebrities. And they all have that similar thing, which is money has solved all of their problems since they can remember. And I mean, there are some kids who, you know, were raised to be a little more self-reliant, but many are like to the point where it's like you move in, you're like, yo, can you set up the Wi-Fi or something? Like they don't even know how to set up a Wi-Fi account. Mm. Like to even like, you know, you call the phone company and they're like, huh? And I'm like, fuck, bro. Did your mom always do this? Like, they'll be like, yeah, my mom got it covered. (laughs) We're Still on the cool. parent plan. Come on now. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Don't be bullied into not drunk driving. Okay. Don't be bullied. Don't let the thought bullies, uh, you know, do your own <laughs> research. Right. Yeah. Do yeah. your research. On, on Facebook, which speaking of, uh, Francis Haugen, which is how German people say Hulk Hogan. 
last name um wow. has yeah i don't know man uh, <laughs> i don't sure. know man. you know what keep it <laughs> keep it <laughs> uh, i don't know man <laughs> come on now francis haugen has now testified in front of congress in like words that it seems like they might be able to understand uh, mm-hmm. based on their response yeah i mean because i think this one for a lot of people it feels like this could be a slightly different moment as it relates to Facebook and talking Facebook on Capitol Hill. Because typically when the Senate hauls Facebook up to the Hill for some just good old splaining, it's usually some very slick representative or a lawyer or like an alien form of Mark Zuckerberg, like doing the talking and people that are like, these are all people that are like well-versed in obscuring like the sins of Facebook, like through their like rhetorical mastery and just being like, well, you know, I'd, I think I'd have to get back to you, but actually the way this product is, designed, you know, it's all this just, it's, it's just a lot of sidestepping when hard questions are being asked. But, well, but, yeah, I mean, and they're also explaining, like they're also doing this like sick explanation, that slick explanation to like octogenarians who don't know what computers are. So like no. that's part of it too, you know? Yeah. Oh, a huge part. So they're, it's just very easy for them to go by because they'll be like, what's Finsta? And yeah. they're like, that's not us, sir. You're confused, old man. Here's your applesauce. And I think uh, your tapioca is getting warm. It's like, oh, thank you. And they've just completely sidestepped a question. Well, Haugen has come out here and just letting these dinosaurs know very straightforward and very plain words from the beginning. So this is Haugen just coming to the the senators being very direct, straightforward, and letting them know, hey, you know, um, there, there's there's actual, let, let me just say this in normal sentences, what is happening at Facebook. During my time at Facebook, I came to realize a devastating truth. Almost no one outside of Facebook knows what happens inside of Facebook. The company intentionally hides vital information from the public, from the U.S. government, and from governments around the world. The documents I have provided to Congress Prove that Facebook has repeatedly misled the public about what its own research reveals about the safety of children, the efficacy of its artificial intelligence systems, and its role in spreading divisive and extreme messages. So that's that's that seems like an easy follow. Mm. Just yeah, you've, you're you're blowing the whistle. You're saying everything you thought you knew, you act in fact do not know because there is a policy there to keep as many people in the dark as possible. And right. that was sort of one of her first statements. And people were like, OK, well, hmm. well, what else is going on? What 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 else can you can you tell us uh, is happening? Uh, and, you know, I think she she stresses the same thing about this whole profits over people thing, which we've seen constantly over and over again, which is that when push comes to shove, they will choose whatever they have to do to make money. That's it. That's all that that's all that this company is going to do. And again, just so for the. For the elders in the back, in case you were understand, like, let me just say, it's not just algorithms or things like that. This is the choices. These are the choices that are being made in, at Facebook. During my time at Facebook, first working as the lead product manager for civic misinformation and later on counterespionage, I saw Facebook repeatedly encounter conflicts between its own profits and our safety. Facebook consistently resolved these conflicts in favor of its own profits. The result has been more division more harm, more lies, more threats, and more combat. In some cases, this, dis- this dangerous online talk has led to actual violence, 
that harms and even kills people. Yeah. Surprises? No. When it's, it's not just, uh, like, I mean, like in the industry that we work in, like we've experienced Facebook, just, you know, presumably just flat out lying about stuff in a way that like just destroys entire industries. Like, yeah. uh, like a lot of us worked in work or worked in like kind of di the digital comedy space, you know, writing for, you know, comedy websites who, uh, you know, when Facebook started allowing videos on their platform, they like goosed the numbers on all of their videos. So all of a sudden you'd see somebody post a video from their kid's birthday party and then it would look like it had like 5 million views or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And then every comedy website was just like, oh, pivot to video only on Facebook. And then that turned out to be like just a horrible idea because Facebook just, you know, kind of tweaked They're those like, numbers. If you scroll you know? past it, it's a view. You're like, yeah. no, it isn't. Yeah, Although, yeah. At yeah. my time at certain companies, the the like the the people who are running departments are like, we love it. Just just because even if they don't watch, it says down there it was viewed three million times. And I'm like, oh. yeah. And that's something that like is it's you know, a big reason that like online sketch comedy is just not a thing anymore is like right. because Facebook convinced all these places to pivot to video. They hired huge video teams and this caused like too much overhead, which caused them to have to like shut down and lay off all of their staffs because it turns out that like Facebook was goosing those numbers in the companies were seeing no profit from these huge video teams that they were starting. So, yeah, yeah you know, if they'll like uh, do, you know, if they'll work in such a way that's self-serving for that then yeah for sure i'm sure facebook like you know uh, gooses things in other areas as this whistleblower definitely pointed out you know yeah and i think you know she's calling for uh, i think like most people like transparency like regulation oversight because a real popular defense that facebook you know will deploy a lot of times like you know we don't really need any like regulation because we're not like like this is not like an infrastructure people are using like it's yeah. really like a platform we're, just cool. that people we're come trying on. to start our own trying to start a new world everybody yeah. it's cool shit you know it's not infrastructure but you know when all their whole shit went down for five hours on monday that certainly blew that argument up because it became really clear because many people were like suddenly unable to communicate with people over whatsapp internationally like many people do use whatsapp for or even like a lot of people who maybe do they're like run a small business on Instagram suddenly like I'm losing out on my livelihood because this thing went down. I don't know what's going on. I think a lot of people begin to say like that is providing a lot of robust infrastructure for people to communicate or create a livelihood. So what it's still just this casual thing. My version of that, which I would say is equal in levels of stress and importance, is I have a pro wrestling group chat on Facebook <laughs> and then Facebook uh, shut down. I had to be like, OK, what's everybody's phone numbers? Let's put everybody on a cell phone chat. <laughs> so we had to like migrate the pro wrestling group chat to text message for five hours just so we could like talk about those sweet wrestling news and rumors uh, without like losing that infrastructure. So like, but, it, but that is a real thing that is like just Facebook messenger Instagram Messenger and all that are like ways that businesses communicate at this point. And like, yeah, is, or just using yeah. shops through Instagram. Like if yeah. you're just being like, hey, here's my bespoke whatever wares I'm, you know, creating that Facebook's a great place for people or Instagram and Facebook has been a place where people have been able to like I, I'm actually making my living uh, using yeah. this stuff. When I was working in the online comedy space, like there there was a slow but steady kind of change from things you would get a lot of traffic from Facebook and then like they would start like kind of squeezing it down and squeezing it down. And then 
like I went to a symposium like put on by Facebook, you had to just like focus on Facebook because that's where so much of the traffic was coming from. And like the people were like, yeah, industry wide uh, page placement is really the only thing that's working. And it was just like a given all of a sudden that like you just had to pay to get to distribute your content on on Facebook. So that's like another way that they just like took out any small right. content creator. Yeah. It, it's like if you have a Facebook page with a million followers and you post a video to it, usually like pre this, it would show up in the news feeds of all million of your followers. Yeah. Then Facebook started doing kind of like this thing where, oh, it would only go to like 10% of your followers. And then based on like how it does in analytics, then they would slowly parse it out to like the other million or yeah. you could give Facebook $100 and they would immediately put it out to all million people. Yeah. yeah and exactly. a bunch of people you don't even know. Yeah. How about right. that? And we're giving me 100 bucks. But that's, you know, you are either paying them a shitload of money or, you know, doing like a fucking rain dance, like to hope that the Facebook gods smile on you that day and like tweak the algorithm in a way that makes it like a little bit fair to the little guy. But all of that to say that all publishers are still presumably like non podcast publishers, I guess are still presumably very focused on like what Facebook's preferences are. Yeah. And I feel like that has to influence like what we see, like the, the, this story miles that you put in here, like just made me wonder about the Finsta thing, which was like in, in and of itself, like inherently funny, but the, the fact that that went as viral as it did and was sort of the thing that overshadowed or like that was like the main takeaway from that day of testimony was the senator being like, what's a Finsta? Can you not do any more Finstas? Like, I I have to feel like that people saw that that was getting a great response on Facebook and that Facebook kind of encouraged that along because why the fuck wouldn't they? Sure. You know? But I think also, I mean, if you're looking at very cynically how we would at the Senate, it's just like even organically, I would look at that and go, this is the fucking problem for this sure. Guy, um, he's supposed to haul these people up here for answers. And he's just getting like he's wasting his breath getting explained like a thing that isn't necessarily as consequential than the purpose of the hearing. Yeah. For um, sure. I, but yeah, I mean, but yes, that it. I think like they say, she goes on to say. You're, we all live in a world that is being affected by Facebook, whether you are on there or not. There's oh, yeah. many people that are. So, yeah, to that point, I'm I'm sure there's there's an element to that. I just want to say a quick side note on a Jack saying the term rain dance. I was like, it's oh, like I'm like I, like I'm a native person and I've like heard yeah. that phrase a lot. But I was like, wait, what did tribes really do that? Or is that just a thing that people say that tribes yeah. did? And I just Googled it. And I just want to say shout out to the Zuni tribe of the Southwest. They uh, they did rain dances. Uh, it's okay. not not totally a thing that people just made up that native folks don't actually do. The Zuni tribe does it. So uh, okay. shout out to the Zunis. Yeah, there you go. A teaching moment. Yeah, yeah. 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 And that was a teaching yeah. moment for me, too, because I was just like, wait, I've only seen the stereotype of that. But is that a real thing? You know, right, right, right. right. Yeah. The the other part of this that was very interesting was suddenly Richard Blumenthal, the famous man behind the finsta comment his energy was a lot different too mm. which i found to be again like things feel a little bit different about this hearing because now i think <laughs> i'm sure richard blumenthal has read up now on everything facebook also, after it looks that like he put thing. a little color sure. in his hair but a little sure. bit just to look a little i mean he's always it's always been that 
you know, form of denying I'm aging brown. I, I think um, the uh, the reason for his fire is that he has a Facebook page and he <laughs> Facebook shut down and he was just like, no, my Heathcliff memes. <laughs> right. He's like, they love ape. He was just <laughs> like, no, he was just like, there was five hours where he couldn't read a garbage ape and he, and he was panicking. <laughs> Right. Yeah, like, his oh, like his staffers shit. were having to like make ones on paper. <laughs> yeah, what about this just one, like, Senator? And it's huh. like, oh no, this has a logical punchline. That's not yeah. what garbage ape would have. <laughs> Heathcliff's tooth is on the other side, you yeah. ignoramus. Heathcliff, Heathcliff is wearing a, a helmet that has a word on it that you can track the logic of. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> right. So this is him saying he coming with some way different energy rather than what's Finsta? He's like, Mark, get over here. Mark Zuckerberg ought to be looking at himself in the mirror today. And yet, rather than taking responsibility and showing leadership, Mr. Zuckerberg is going sailing. His Ooh. new modus operandi, no apologies, no admission, no action, nothing to see here. Mark Zuckerberg, you need to come before this committee. You need to explain to Francis Haugen to us, to the world, and to the parents of America, what you were doing and why you did it. Hmm. So this is only about seven years too late, <laughs> but that's right. cool. But to that point, as you know, I'm not going to give Blumenthal. I'm not going to just start standing up applauding him because there's they they they're able to do things up there. And Amy Klobuchar, she's also like, let me also. Let me also come in with a take onto why there's been this glacial pace in terms of us being able to regulate or have oversight over things like Facebook. We have done nothing when it comes to making the algorithms more transparent, allowing for the university research that you referred to. Why? Because Facebook and the other tech companies are throwing a bunch of money around this town and people are listening to them. We have done nothing significantly past, although we are on a bipartisan basis working in the antitrust subcommittee to get something done on consolidation, mm -hmm. which you understand mm -hmm. allows the dominant platforms um, to control all this, like the bullies in the neighborhood, buy out the companies that maybe could have competed with them and added the bells and whistles. So, yeah, it's there's so many elements to this. You got the lobbying parts of this where they're like they've bought people's votes. So that's an element of it. And we're trying to do something, but I I don't know that this this I feel like at this point her words, Francis Haugen's words were just so direct and just powerful. Like to these people, that maybe this this will inspire something and different. There's also like these tech companies are getting so big. This is a story from 2018, but like Facebook and Amazon are building their own towns for their employees to live in. Yeah, yeah. So it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like. There is just this weird level of like, yeah, we need to have some level of oversight on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the hits. Friendster, yeah. get the get the person who runs Friendster in here and yeah. let's yell there, at him. There are a lot of memes about like the other platforms. They kind of be like, well, just yeah. fading to the back. Being like, I don't know. Like, yeah, Facebook, huh? They get it together over there. Right, Cause, right, Because, you right. know, they're able to like get rid of things like, like obscene like child pornography they're very yeah. quickly able to like you know get things like that off of the internet and then i think that's why a lot of people are then like but for whatever but white supremacy is just too lucrative so that's why you want to just turn the other way because haugen also said too that 
prior to the election, they like ramped up a lot of the controls to help curb a lot of misinformation and, and just any just chaos around the election because they didn't want a replay of 2016 or, or maybe they did, but just to a lesser extent. But they said once the election happened, they fucking they took all those controls off, which really helped all the big lie misinformation really get a ton of interaction on Facebook because Facebook was trying to recoup the money they lost from doing the slightly responsible thing before the election. When it's also like the way that companies like Facebook profit are things called like it's engagement, likes, mm -hmm. comments, shares, whatever. So like if you get into a Facebook argument with like somebody you went to high school with who like doesn't think that vaccines are real or whatever, like that's like Facebook wants that. And like, there's also things that they can do with the algorithm to steer you in that direction of like seeing things that they know that you'll disagree with and comment on. So you'll start those Facebook right. argument, arguments, which will increase the engagement on the piece or whatever. And like, it is just this power that these companies have over like, you know, like how we communicate as people. And yeah, it sure would be cool if somebody who didn't have profit in mind was like, quit it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And but, you'd hope that like they would have people like Haugen help Congress understand what they can do and what they could do rather yeah, than totally. like, Richard Blumenthal asking his like granddaughter. Right. Like, yeah, what, I mean, what, what, what should happen? And that's why it's important to have people like AOC in Congress who are like in their 30s, you know, people who right. like have Instagram accounts and understand what this stuff is, right. you know. Yeah, rather than someone who's like, I don't know, my staffer said I need one of these things. I yeah, guess. yeah. So I have that and I have a TikTok, but I don't know what it is. I just yeah, have like, to have them. Like they have an email that their staffers check for them, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. They, yeah, that's a really good point about the, like they put input these benevolent seeming values into the, or not even benevolent, but just harmless seeming values like engagement into the, uh, algorithm and then that ends up leading to these outcomes that they can claim are unintentional they're they're not putting like angry up the facebook community uh, like, into uh, the algorithm but it's just engagement but that the outcome of that which may be unintended but they're not doing anything to fix it like is that they just can't be trusted to ever do anything to fix it on their own it's well yeah the only way it can be done is regulation Right. And society is just all saying, like, well, make as much money as you can, however you can. Um, like, yeah. people be damned. I got to say, one of my favorite Facebook interactions to watch was a guy I went to high school with. This was probably, I want to say, two years ago, challenged another guy to a fist fight over Facebook. And like they were on the Facebook wall post, which I forget what it was about. It was probably just like the burners are bad or whatever, you right. know, <laughs> Jay Buner was a hack. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> something like that. But it was like watching them try to plan having a fist fight with each other on a Facebook <laughs> wall was delight because it was just like, like, what time do you get off work? I got to work at 6 p.m. Let's meet in this park. No, I actually, I'm busy tonight. Let's do it. Yo, you're trying to duck this fight, bro. <laughs> no, I no, I told you, I just have my daughters on, on Fridays and Saturdays. And I yeah. uh, was yeah. watching two, two grown men in their 30s trying to plan yeah. a fist fight publicly over Facebook ruled. <laughs> How are Thursdays like, for you, bitch? Yeah, yeah. It, was like a lot of, it was like a lot of that. It was like the minutiae of like, I can't do it during my lunch break. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's like, I'm in oh. sales. If I come back all scraped up, I might lose my job. I'm not going to risk that, you idiot. Yeah. So actually, on second thought, now that I'm thinking about that, let's leave Facebook unregulated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one quick aside on the uh, company towns thing, Joey, that you just mentioned. So last week, we talked about Amazon doing these company towns for sort of the laborers that make their business model possible. But I think you were referring to these Facebook and Google company towns that are more for like the executive class that they're building that are going to be these, you know, Elysium style, like really beautiful, you know, the way the Google campus was held up as like the best place to work because you had all these fucking chefs and Amenities. ball pits and slides. Yeah. Like they are building these company towns that are like the next step in luxury and like, you know, communal living. But really, they're just going to be these hives of like groupthink where which is really dangerous because these companies are, you know, controlling our country from the top down, like in really profound ways. And so like. You know, the more you just get the like-minded people at the top who have all the power just in their own, like, like literally literal bubble, the I feel like the worse it's going to get. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about Starbucks cups. And we're back. And... So BuzzFeed released a declassified scientific review of the attacks that uh, have been described as Havana syndrome, that the attacks are being quotes because they found what we had suspected, what a lot of people have talked about, that the noises that they were associating with the attacks that first happened in Havana were crickets. Okay. And it was a declassified like State Department study. So it's not... This isn't like an outside researcher. This is like what they have learned themselves. Now, around this time, the Biden administration had started referring to Havana syndrome as unexplained health incidents, which kind of suggested they were backing off of the idea that they were deliberate attacks from, you know, adversaries. But because that became a story, they now have issued a new report that seemed to back in, like, jump back into the, this is an attack camp, mm -hmm. because the people who, you know, are suffering the symptoms believe that they were attacked, and that they're very sensitive, understandably, about Because people. we're in their country attacking them. Right, exactly. <laughs> so you very much would be God on pins and needles. What the fuck? Oh, okay. I'm just I'm just a nurse. That's all yeah. I am. Not a CIA op. But yeah, the this Miami Herald piece about like the new this new direction quotes a and the this is a trend, senior administration official, but no name. We need to believe our personnel who are coming forward. People are facing real symptoms. We are very conscious that people are experiencing something very real and it's having a real negative effect on their health. And we're seeing better health outcomes the sooner we can respond to that. So it's like they're trying to treat it as though it's a real thing because it is, as we've talked about, functional disorders. Like they're the real thing that these people are experiencing real symptoms. Right. They're not just making them up, but that it is probably a neurological and, you know, a stress based thing. That, and that is the thing that 
uh, explanation is very offensive to anybody who is suffering from this. Mm. And so the, there's this new article from Jacobin that just kind of puts this in the context of a bunch of different stories over the course of like the last 25 years that have been kind of adopted and just repeated by the mainstream media because they are, you know, they go in the direction of like helping America maintain an aggressive foreign policy. So they start with the Havana syndrome reporting and just like all the different headlines that flatly state that Cuba attacked U.S. diplomats, which, you know, are generally CIA agents. And, you know, pointing out that anytime somebody is quoted, it's always they're always quoted on background or they're quoted as like a unidentified administration official. And they point out like this is this happened immediately after Trump indicated that they were going his administration was going to go like hard in the opposite direction of the Obama administration, start being like really hostile towards Cuba. And then this event happened and they seized on it and started ramping up their negative foreign policy. But they kind of put it in the context of, you know, the New York Times, all these mainstream media outlets trusting military officials on things like Russiagate, which in addition to being hostile towards Trump, was also allowed the military to make Russia seem more dangerous. And, you know, with a lot of the Iran reporting towards the end of the Trump administration because they were trying to justify a when they're holding up shards of things like this says Iran on it. I don't know if what you want to do with that. Maybe do a war. I don't I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I can can cook up some other evidence. Yeah, there's no there's we don't have a pattern of doing that at all in this country. Yeah. But it just reminds me of like the you know, we talk about the news relying on police sources and especially like for the local news and like, you know, the guys with guns are the sources that they need to satisfy like audience bloodlust and like their sure. willingness to chase that bloodlust makes it so that we live in a world that we think is more dangerous and keeps people tuning in. And it also just creates this sort of feedback loop where, you know, the version of like the world that exists in the minds of the military and the police gets like filtered back to us over and over again. And it's right. just, you know, why why is that like after the most catastrophic like mistake in the you know recent history of America going to war in Iraq was like turned out to be based on a complete lie. You'd think that the mainstream media would have like altered their approach a little bit and been a little bit more willing to pump the brakes on shit like this. But it just seems like that is as currently constituted, like unless something kind of dramatically changes, the mainstream media will let the military feed them, you know, bullshit. Right. So I think that the tolerance for bullshit stories from the Pentagon is higher because they're all they all have a relationship with each other. You know, it's like you have a homie who may bend the truth from time to time. You're like, okay, all right, that wasn't the best thing, but we're still good. We're stuck because I know you. And right. it's the same thing. Like you'll get burned by just straight up misinformation from the Pentagon. And still it's like, nah, it's all good. Like, don't worry about it. Like we got to 
keep this thing going, you know, General Electric and the Pentagon do some good business together. And we're also NBC. So, you know, we'll let's let's you know, we're not going to make it too hot for anybody. Yeah. Can I be honest about this before we move on? Just real yeah. quick. I think this Havana syndrome is Jamaican me crazy. <laughs> are you are you got to go Havana tough time? Get him out. <laughs> I'm having a tough time with this Havana syndrome. I swear to God. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm being serious. I know. It's, it's I know that's the problem. As we that's speak. the problem. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I mean, so many reporters like get into the game because they would like want to be war correspondents. Like they have that like kind of, you know, they grew up on the idea of like going to Vietnam and being a reporter on that or, you know, and it just you know, as Blake, I think you were suggesting is making them crazy. It is. And that's exactly not even suggesting just what I was pointedly saying. I think there's no room for interpretation there. Yeah. In college, I had a uh, I took a class called war reporting mm. and my professor was a former like embedded journalist and he would never he would always just show us movies and we would never we were like <laughs> it's like why like you have the most interesting story in the world why wouldn't you just teach us and then one day there was this girl in class who, like who just maybe like laid in a little too hard being like all you do is show us movies like why don't you actually instruct us and tell us what it was like being there and he went on a 45 minute story of one of the most emotionally traumatizing things I've ever heard in my entire life. The one time he ever told a story about his time in war, about how his guide was like murdered right in front of him. And then the whole class was like completely silent. And he goes, yeah, all right, I think we're done for the day. And then he and we're like, never asked him to talk about it again. We just watch movies for the rest of the semester because it was that it's like, yeah, that's why he doesn't talk about it. You know what I mean? Right. Anyway, yeah, just random yeah. side note. But seriously, that that made me sane. <laughs> the, the joke doesn't work when you change it. That it's, just made uh, me sane. <laughs> you can workshop that one. Yeah. yeah. We'll, no, we'll I think work on it, way and it is. come back, uh, report back to Zeke. No, that's the final What form. we came up with. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, that's fine. I think but, it'll but, stand. Just maybe just like, give it a few years. Yeah, yeah. We'll just. Yeah, kinda... <laughs> we'll come back. Pitchfork will do a. They'll, they'll, they'll rescore that joke. <laughs> they'll rescore that joke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the war on Christmas. Finally. God. That the was war. the war that he was embedded in, by the way. I forgot <laughs> to tell you. He was embedded in the war on Christmas. <laughs> the war on Christmas. Uh. It's, uh, it's begun. Fauci said in an interview that it's just too soon to tell whether holiday gatherings will need to be restricted due to the pandemic for a second year in a row, which is there a... There he goes. Sound <laughs> the alarms as he said that. It doesn't really say anything. It's like a non-answer that doesn't really offer any specifics for what kind of restrictions they might put in place. But right-wing media, you know, I, I guess the fact that he was willing to answer a question, like enraged right-wing media, the National Review wrote an article calling him a Grinch. And, you know, the Fox and Friends labeled Fauci a Grinch because they, you know, that was too good not to repurpose. Yeah. Like, it's fucking October. It's October. They, they're talking Grinch and claimed that he was about to cancel Christmas based on his statement that it's too soon to tell that it, I, I, it's a seems fully fabricated. But so there are actually this year like legitimate threats to the Christmas traditions that they seem to hold so dear, mm. such as, you know, supply chain problems 
that are going to make it so that it's harder to order presents for people or, you know, the due to uh, climate change, there are fewer Christmas trees available. And, you know, there's a shortage of truck drivers because as their wages have declined over the years, there's just been a problem with finding enough people to do that job. As the New York Times pointed out, it takes a peculiar a peculiar form of logic to cut pay steadily and then be shocked that fewer people want to do the job. But that's what happened in the uh, truck driving industry. And also because of, you know, slowdowns in manufacturing, there has been a a slowdown in the production of fake Christmas trees. So these are all things that wrench shit. The real spirit of Christmas. Yeah. And they don't they don't they're not interested in talking about that shit, though. Um, I mean, I, I I think for their sake, like the Fox News set, you probably don't want to have all of your un, like most of your unvaccinated base <laughs> take airplanes to congregate because that, you know, they're already like getting freaked out like, by the demographics of how like the uh, pandemic is affecting things. So what there's going to be like, nah, man, get together, folks. Don't worry about any kind of spiking cases. Just do your thing, y'all. I it's. I don't know. This is just it's watch. It's it's fun watching them get so outraged. And I mean, so were there things in place that like actually stopped people from congregating, or was it just like advice last year? Like in like guidance, said, right? Yeah, they said, yeah. Hey, it's don't just fuck, don't do that. Uh, I like they. I'm so confused. What they like at the height of the pandemic, they just offered guidance <laughs> they're like okay big brother nice try asshole oh you said it's it's inadvisable to yeah, gather with elderly family and when there aren't vaccines okay yeah okay yeah i don't know it's yeah th- th- they were just merely guidelines but i think most people because they were able to look around in their communities or just the news and be like okay so this is real and there's the potential for untold harm for people that i will I will heed these guidelines. Yeah. I mean, JM, our writer, uh, JM McNabb, was pointing out that, like, this actually kind of obscures how, you know, focusing on the idea that he merely mentioned that he might at one point consider giving some travel advisories around Christmas. Like, so that caused him to backtrack. And he was, Fauci was like, no, you have misinterpreted me. Uh, I'll be spending Christmas with my family, which is like fucking, right. oh, wow. again, way too soon to tell whether that's a good idea or not. The CDC uploaded their 2021 holiday guidance to their website, which was picked up by multiple news outlets. Uh, but then they deleted it because they had actually put up last year's holiday guidance instead of this year's. And they haven't figured out what their guidance is going to be in 2021. Oh, fucking. It's just a position for them to be in where they're like, oh, fuck, don't say it. Don't give them real advice or else they're going to accuse us of stuff. So let's water it the fuck down. Yeah, because the situation is just so tenuous. My uh, uncle's a big Fox News person and uh, I gave him I put like he's a bad guy. So I put coal in his stocking <laughs> and then he pulled it out and he's like, this is such a great gift. This is my favorite uh, fuel source. So don't give oh. Fox News people coal in their stockings because they'll they'll completely misinterpret it as a gift. Did he, did he just take a bite out of it too? He's like, oh, you don't oh, think yes. I will? You don't think I will? Watch Eat this, it. Blake. 
<laughs> he ate lib, it like a jawbreaker. Yeah, <laughs> over the course of the next three days. <laughs> Jokes terrible. on you, asshole. Yeah. Oh my ulcer. Oh god. Oh god. Yeah. Not good. Did, yeah. They have Booty ulcers, folks. <laughs> But, I mean, the big news story of the day is really uh, of yesterday, I guess, that that the Zodiac Killer has finally been identified, according to TMZ and, you know, all the other main news sources, uh, Fox News. <laughs> so a, a group of researchers ID'd someone named Gary Francis Post, who died in 2018 as the Zodiac Killer. The degree to which this got picked up would have suggested it was like a law enforcement agency that had like done some some sort of DNA linkage. Um, but they so they're made this group is made up of former investigators and journalists. So essentially volunteers acting in no official capacity. They they're called the case breakers. Right. They're called the case breakers. And mm -hmm. they one of their like key theories is that Post also killed Sherry Jo Bates in 1966, whose death was followed by a Zodiac-like letter. And this is strange because the the police were sent a Zodiac-like letter. So it's not like the, nobody <laughs> entertained this idea that it was that was from the Zodiac killer and her murder was part of the Zodiac killings. But they looked into it and the letter was revealed to be a hoax and an actual cold case units have already like investigated that that case and concluded that the murder is not connected to the zodiac case so they're just like putting out a a theory that most people believe to have been widely disproven and saying well here here's your evidence and then there's also like the evidence that they're pointing to are photos from posts dark room actually match scars on the police sketch of the zodiac killer which These it's are just, just creases lines on a forehead. Yeah, it's just creases in a forehead. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Come on, case breakers. Yeah, come with some. Come on, case come with breakers. something heavier than this. They also claim that they deciphered new code in the zodiac letters that could only be cracked if you knew if you know Gary's full name. But they're they're not revealing that just yet. They they want to. They're being proprietary they're not, about their nor solution. What right. are they, the fucking cyber ninjas? My pillow voting audit? Like, what the fuck is it? Oh, we go, we got it. Can't show you. We just can't show nobody right now. It's too explosive. Tom Colbert, who is one of the main case breakers, his former job was working for a hard copy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, he knows how to do a good tease. Hell yeah. People, mm -hmm. you know. But uh, he was also a story broker, which is somebody who, like, buys up compelling stories and like sells them to people to make movies he sold the story rights for fly away home and the val <laughs> um so so you know like real hardcore grizzled uh crime solving shit yeah gumshoe shit yeah and yeah it just feels weird that this is one that any news outlet even if it's just tdz has like seized on and been like solved I, 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 the reason I just started wheezing and laughing is uh, I'm following along in your document that you guys use. Oh, sorry to show a behind the scenes look at the show. This is all coming um, from the top of my head, Blake. I, I apologize. You're right. And I it's apologize. All loose scraps I keep by my desk. <laughs> this is, then this is the document that I, the 126 page document that I made uh, for the <laughs> show. 
And the case breaker team had, which I can't believe I just said without laughing my way through it. But at case breaker team, um, I'm like, oh, it says eight following two followers on Twitter. You have a screen grab of it. And yeah. I was like, oh, this is probably taken from a few weeks. And now they have 14 followers. So, yeah, yeah we're in we're in the same place. Yeah, it's trending. It's trending. Yeah, it's trending. So so basically they're saying that the the case breakers, the the evidence that they're working with has been debunked. So they're like this is already built on like a false premise because yeah. you're already using debunked, like you're trying to connect dots that really aren't there. Yeah. I mean, unless you like, look at, look at the, those forehead wrinkles, man, I'm just <laughs> saying like, those are pretty. Well, they better come with that info that they say they, they're ready to decipher all the letters because we have to know his full name and only we do. I mean, okay. I, how many people did the Zodiac killer kill? Exactly. That's it? information that they have too. Pre- uh, proprietary <laughs> as well. Yeah. So you'd have to ask them. They, yeah, they're they're holding back on. Uh, <laughs> they say you'll never believe what we found out about how many people the Zodiac killed. Five claim he wait claimed to have killed thirty seven. Mm. Five confirmed dead, but possibly twenty to twenty eight. Okay, interesting. Just another example of their work on a famous story where people are, you know, very horny to identify a historical figure is Colbert got interested in the D.B. Cooper case and that's a bank robber, right? Yeah. So the D.B. Cooper was a bank robber who hijacked a plane and then jumped out of said plane after like, you know making everybody turn around, I guess, uh, or go, go into the cockpit. Anyways, it's, it's a, people think that he probably didn't survive jumping out of the plane, but, you know, it's very mysterious. They never found the body. And he thought he had figured out that it was this guy, Robert Rackstraw. And so Colbert or Colbert approached Rackstraw, offered him $20,000 to participate. And when he refused, Colbert threatened to have him hounded forever and then he started catfishing Rackstraw, <laughs> who then in turn reverse catfished Colbert. And yeah, it just seems like real, real top level, you know, mature, mature right. and, yeah. you know, top level investigative shit going on. Right. Someone who's clearly not just trying to get the thing over the line by any means necessary. <laughs> right. True dedication to the truth. Unflinching. You know, rather right. than like, oh, I'll fuck your life up if you don't admit your D.B. Cooper so I can sell <laughs> the rights to this. Yeah. So mm. that's that's the story of how the Zodiac Killer was salt was identified. Well, I'm glad to know that all the people who are talking about it now I can finally um actually every fucking tweet I see now. Yeah. And, you know, J.M., who is clearly uh, into this, into the story of the Zodiac Killer, is saying, like, there's, they could be right about who it is, but publishing articles, like, definitively claiming the Zodiac case has come to an end based on these people's work it seems a little premature. Right. Like, I read the sto- the headlines, then, like, I, I looked at the article, and they were talking about these case breakers, like, they <laughs> were a known quantity that, like, I should be familiar with, and... The fact that they have 14 followers, 15 now that I'm following them, is uh, wild. <laughs> they do have their own logo, which is not nothing. Right. Yeah. It's, you know? it's kind of huge. Yeah. It looks like Charles Barkley's like signature shoe logo. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
All right, that's going to do it for this week's weekly Zeitgeist. Please like and review the show if you like the show. Uh, it means the world to Miles. He, he needs your validation, folks. Uh, I hope you're having a great weekend, and I will talk to you Monday. Bye. Bye.